the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the best of investing on 860 AM, The Answer. The show that brings you valuable information about real estate, the financial markets, and other economic business of the day. Your host, Edward Brown, is a nationally recognized expert on money and investing who has appeared on CNN and has published numerous articles in national business magazines and newspapers. Now, your host for the best of investing, Edward Brown. Welcome. You're listening to The Best of Investing. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co-host, Nam Fon of Pacific Private Money. Mark Honf is off today. Our phone number is 888-912-1190. You're going to use that number to answer the trivia questions for a five-pack tanning certificate given away during this show. And that certificate is not sponsored by the radio station, but by Tan Bella Tanning Salon with two locations in San Francisco and one in Marin. Today's trivia theme, again, is miscellaneous trivia. Uh, Nam, you got a lot to talk about today. Go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, there's just a lot to talk about because there's a lot going on in, in real estate uh, and lending, um, which is our world here at Pacific Private Money. It's uh, actually seems like every time I'm on the show where we've just been talking about how busy things are, but yeah. it really literally has not let up. Yeah. And um, we're just seeing not only more loan volume, but our, our average loan request size it's um, gone, <laughs> gone up and you know and if you're a buyer out there looking to buy a home right now then you could probably commiserate well not commiserate um, but I'm sure you're seeing that as well and I feel feel uh, I feel for home buyers today who are trying to get a home in this market because you know they're competing they're competing against you know, here in the Bay Area, multiple offers and homes are, you hear all every week how homes are going X percent above list price. Yeah. And it's not that people are, it's not that sellers are and listing agents are listing below market to create the demand. I think they're just pricing, they're putting, you know, pricing it where they see the market right now. And it's just the frenzy of people wanting to get into a home. Um, you know, interest rates are still super low. And so, you know, you can buy more home right now. I I wonder if part of it is with the expectation of interest rates to go up uh, and inflation to go up. Yeah. uh, Because, you know, all the COVID stuff, people seem to be kind of getting back somewhat to normal. And even if they think, okay, well, I I may be working from home, but now my employer is going to ask me to come back to work. Uh, Do you think that's a big part of it is the potential inflation? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think, I mean, look, in 10 years, we'll look back and know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I have to assume there's a number of things that there's probably more qualified borrowers because in the last year, if you're a first time home home buyer, you've been sitting on, or even if you're not a first time home buyer, you've been, might've been spending less because there's less, there was less to do. And so yeah. you were, you know, you didn't have as much of a commute and you, so you're, you're sort of building a war chest 
and able to come into the market with, you know, with the ability to afford more than you could pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, so there's that group, and and then the low interest rates, like you're saying, and then and then people being afraid of missing out on these low interest rates and worried about inflation. And so it's kind of creating the storm of activity. Well, that's the other thing is that just the idea that people are understanding prices are going up. Uh, There's a frenzy out there. I got to catch the wave before it goes up. I mean, it's almost kind of weird. Like Bitcoin kind of did that for a while. Right. And you saw what Bitcoin did this week or cryptocurrency in general. It's gotten slammed. You know, I guess uh, China has decided, I I bet they're going to come out with their own cryptocurrency. So they're kind of outlying Certain, yeah, certain use hours. You yeah, have to yeah. use hours if you're a citizen. <laughs> so, so, no, it'll be interesting. I mean, all we can say is right now is what we see in front of us. Um, and that's the, you know, the activity is, is really hot. Um, you know, this past week, we got five, five new bridge loan requests. Wow. But I'll tell you, the, the smallest one out of the five was two and a half million. Really? And later when we talk about, you know, potential deal of the week, you know, that's, that's an even bigger bridge loan that we're thinking about making okay. uh, to a borrower. But, you know, it's just um, the, the, you know, the prices are going up. There's fewer houses on the market. Um, we'll get into a little bit of construction lending later. Um, there's not as much housing inventory for, for new housing stock. So, um, you know, and, and we had, who is it? The chief economist for uh, or global economist for wealth on like yeah. two months ago, uh-huh. month and a half ago. And, and he was saying, you know, for the next two quarters, we expect to see, you know, a really, really robust economy. And that's starting, that's really playing out. So really? it's, it's going to be an interesting rest of 2021. I can't believe we're already almost done with half of the, or, you know, yeah. May. but um, so here at Pacific private money, you know, activity continues to be, to be, um, you know, at all time highs and um, the bridge loan activity in particular and construction being uh, two of the, two of the biggest areas of opportunity for us. And with the construction, you actually have a specialized uh, fund just to handle construction. So yeah, we have the North star construction fund, uh, which or North star capital fund, which um, you know, has been in place since um, July of last year. And that's, you know, the, the average loan size in there is pretty high. Um, you know, around two and a half, three million. Um, and yeah, it's, it's geared towards ground up construction. Although the Pacific private money fund has some construction loans in it as well. Yes. So, but the North star capital fund is definitely dedicated to construction lending. Uh, it's run by Matt Cordes, Mark Honf and John Simons. And it's been uh, received pretty well so far. We just can't grow it fast enough. Wow. So, well, you're getting yeah. these big loan requests. I mean, it takes a lot of investor capital to, to fill that need. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't, uh, we can't grow capital fast enough in, in the next segment. We'll talk about the Pacific freedom fund okay. and uh, what that fund is designed for uh, and the yield it pays to investors. And we can compare and contrast those two. All right. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to uh, get into all those funds. We'll also talk about deal of the week. And then we also have an email for you about uh, private rates and how they've changed over the past few years. We'll get, you, we'll get your expertise take on that. All right. Here is our first trivia question. Uh, again, we're talking just miscellaneous trivia here. Who was U.S. president when the stock market crashed in 1929? Which president uh, is president? Okay. I know Mark's so funny. He always says, 
Taft. I always vote for Taft. <laughs> it was not. It was not Taft. Okay. Uh, call eight 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 nine one two eleven ninety. The first caller with the correct answer is going to win that tanning certificate, which is worth, by the way, over a hundred dollars. And now that the sun's starting to come out again. People should get their tan on. You know, their their fake tan on before they get the real tan on. All right. Uh, first trivia question again is: Who was U.S. president when the stock market crashed in nineteen twenty nine? Stay with us. You are listening to the best of investing with Edward. And Nam Fon of Pacific Private Money. Don't touch that dial. We're going to be right back. For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888 912 1190. The best of investing will continue in a moment on 860 AM. The answer. Now, back to the best of investing with Edward Brown on 860 AM. The answer. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Nam Vaughn of Pacific Private Money. First trivia question, who was U.S. president when the stock market crashed in 1929? I don't know. Hoover. Herbert Hoover, yes. Wow, okay. In fact, I think the the, the unfortunate thing for him is I think he ended up getting – kicked out of office uh, when the next election came around or didn't get reelected because of the depression, you know? And, uh, and if I remember correctly, I think he, he wanted to let the banks fail and just say, Hey, listen, just let it all come out in the wash. And, uh, but FDR came in and said, nee, no, we're not going to let that happen. Okay. Uh, don't, don't, don't quote me on that. I think that's. Yeah. What well, what do you think would happen if he had let them fail? Uh, there would have been a huge problem in the beginning, but then, it probably would have worked itself out. Yeah. 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 Because the problem is when you start doing too many bailouts, as we're kind of seeing now, yep. uh, you know, people are not wanting to go to, well, here, hey, you talk about this now. Uh, apparently a lot of employees are not choosing to, or who unemployed people are choosing on the lower end, not to go back to work yet. Uh, because they're still making more money or, or close to as much money watching Netflix every day and not working. Uh, and that's not a good place to uh, to be. So you right. know, when the government does too many handouts, unfortunately, the, the nature, uh, human nature is, well, shoot, why should I work if I'm going to get paid, you know, not to work, even if it's not right. as much? Yeah. Yeah. And no, there's talk and, and you know, we're, we're getting – off topic, but I think it's a really interesting conversation is, you know, they're talking about a living wage for, for people, a basic minimum income. And they've been experimenting with that in, in certain areas. Um, and I don't know what that amount is, but I mean, that's really along the lines of what you're saying, where, where, you know, you're giving people uh, money, whether they work or not, you know, what's the incentive or motive driver to actually get out there and, do more. Is it human nature to settle in and be comfortable or to really push yourself? And, and- uh, unfortunately it's, it's just too easy to say, you know, if I, if I don't work, I'm going to get paid X, but if I work really hard, I'm going to get paid X plus a dollar. Yeah, no, you're not going to, you're not going to do it. And sure. unfortunately that means production is going to go down and, yeah. uh, you know, we start moving towards a socialist or Marxist system and it's just not good, you know, yeah. except for the people who are in power who can, uh, uh, pull the strings and that's yeah. why you know you one would hope that when when it comes time to voting assuming that uh, we can have an honest election that yeah. people will realize we don't want people who you know absolute power corrupts absolutely 
right? And if you're going to get people who are going to be making a situation where it's like, oh, you guys don't have to do anything. Don't worry, the government will take care of you. Well, how does the government do that? It's going to print more money? I mean, you, you right. have runaway inflation. I mean, look what happened to Germany in the 30s. Yeah. yeah. You know, it got, it got so bad in, in the 1930s in Germany that they, they had chalkboards to be able to change the price of bread and all that kind of stuff literally on an hourly basis. Wow. Changing. And then one guy, I heard a story where this one guy who had had accumulated a lot of, you know, German marks at the time, Mm -hmm. he was so despondent about how he could see things going that he spent his last, like what the equivalent of a million dollars just to take a train ride uh, for, you know, like around the city for X period of time. Because it just it just gets so unaffordable after that. Yeah, yeah, wow. and and you know, I mean, if you think about it, can you imagine? Uh, I mean, it's bad enough when we go to the gas pumps, and you know, here in California, you mm-hmm. know, start seeing gas over you know four dollars and fifty cents, and it's like, why? Yeah. Why is that high? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. So it's just uh, I don't know. Yeah. It gets a little discouraging, so to speak. Okay. Uh, you know, we were talking about interest rates for a little bit and potentially going up. The email yeah. comes in for you guys and says, how much have your private rates changed over the past few years? Yeah, that's a good question. So how much have our the rates that we lend out at, I, I suppose yeah, that's I, the question. Yeah. How much are borrowers having to pay to to get private money, alternative financing uh-huh. uh, from Pacific private money and other private lenders. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, if you look back at 10 years ago, um, private money rates were oftentimes north of 10%. So yeah. a borrower who wanted to buy a home, whether to flip it or, well, most private money back then was for, for investors. Yeah, properties. And it wasn't unusual for them to pay 10, 11, 12% in California and even higher outside yeah. of California. Um, you know, outside of California, it was not uncommon to have um, double digit interest rates for private money loans somewhere in the mid, mid teens. Um, fast forward a little over the last three or four years, you're seeing the erosion of that um, rate. Uh, so essentially the rates going down is favorable for the borrowers where they're getting uh, rates, hard money rates or alternative rates uh, down to, you know, from 10 to on a first, we're talking about uh, first lien position loan from tens to nines to eights. And we've settled in generally in the eights through, you know, 20, you know, 19, 2020, um, 2021, you're starting to see rates go down into the sevens. Still, wow. for for certain types of loans, obviously, you know, for a lot of the loans, uh, investor loans, you know, business purpose, fix and flip, um, you've seen that for a while now, but you're just starting to see it in general across many uh, and most alternative loan types. Um, partly because, you know, hard money is not necessarily the same as it used to be. Um, you know, it used to be 10 years ago, somebody with really, really derogatory credit and hard money lenders were the lender of last resort. Yeah. Now people use hard money who are very well qualified to get a bank loan. They're using hard money or private money because of speed. Speed. Yeah. We're, we're, we're now a legitimate plan B largely because we can fund faster. Um, 
But there's a lot of interest from investors in the alternative lending space because they see that kind of quality borrower uh-huh. and scenario where they're, they're thinking, this is not a hard money borrower. This is a hard money situation, uh, meaning somebody needs to close quickly. They need access to capital quickly, and they, they plan to pay off the loan very quickly. Banks aren't interested in short-term loans. So, you know, so that's why they turn to uh, private lenders, the borrowers do. And um, so to answer the question, you know, rates are going down. What we do to try and keep rates uh, up in terms of the returns to investors is we, we sell a lot of the loans that we fund to institutional capital, institutional buyers. And um, we keep a, a spread and that spread comes back as income. If you're an investor in one of our funds, comes back as income to the fund and that's shared with the investors and that income is helps boost the return and the return of the Pacific private money fund specifically you know, has maintained itself in the, uh, in the high or mid sevens. So. Okay. All right. We're going to, uh, thank you very much. By, by the way, how do people get a hold of you? They can give us a call 415-883-2150 or they can email us at uh, w- or go to our website, excuse me, uh, which is www.pacificprivatemoney.com. Very good. All right. Here's our uh, second trivia question. Talking again about the 1920s. During what? <laughs> Just gave the answer. <laughs> so I'm going to have to shift this around. Uh, during the 1920s, what dance was uh, considered, you know, the dance craze. What was a specialized dance? The name of it. That's so funny. All right. Stay with us. You're listening to The Best of Investing. Call 888-912-1190. Uh, during the 1920s, what was the, uh, what was the dance craze called? All right. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown. For more information, visit Best of Investing. Dot com. More in a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to The Best of Investing on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Edward Brown. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. I'm Edward Brown, along with Nam Fon. Our second trivia question uh, during the 1920s, uh, what dance became all the craze? Was it the swing? No, there was the Charleston. The Charleston. The okay. Charleston, yes. I'm way off. I'm sure I'm off by decades and decades. decades. And no, the sw- swing was, I think, uh, the, the 40s, I think. So that's not too far okay. off. All um, right. Trying to think what was in the 30s. I don't know. I'd have to get, get it out. That's like <laughs> Good question. Okay. Um, all right. So, Neil, uh, Nam, if you could give us a deal of the week, uh, yeah. people know, you know, we've been talking about generally, you know, how Pacific private money, uh, you know, makes loans to people, but you, sure. you know, why would people come to you rather than a regular bank? Yeah. So uh, deal of the week, we were talking in uh, the first segment, I think about just the, the volume of business that we're seeing uh, specifically bridge loans. The last segment we were talking about, um, about, uh, you know, they're hard money situations and not hard money borrowers, um, meaning that the borrowers are well qualified for bank financing, but they choose not to go to the bank because either they don't have enough time. Uh, we know right now banks are so busy with refis and purchase uh, because of low interest rates that it's often taking 45, 60 days to get a loan. Um, so this deal of the week is one that we're currently looking at. 
It's actually a $5 million bridge loan wow. uh, against a $7 million property. So the borrower is coming in with $2 million. Very, very successful borrower. But, um, you know, he, he owns multiple properties free and clear. They're total, you know, $10 million. Oh. Um, so this person could definitely get a bank loan. But they want to, they're competing against all cash in a very hot market. So, you know, if they go to the bank, they, they probably actually, this person probably could qualify for two mortgages. But again, it's a speed thing, getting qualified and getting a loan closed. And are you crossing? Yes. Okay. So I was just saying, because the- otherwise you'd go, well, you know, seven million or five million on seven, you know, that's like 70% loan to value. Yeah. And I know you guys usually try to keep it more conservative. So what right. you're doing is you're going to get an, uh, you're going to use as additional collateral one or more of his other properties. So what's your loan to value actually going to be? You know, it, it could be really low. It depends on, uh, on how we, how, which ones we cross. Yeah. Um, but it's, we're in a really, really good spot having that kind of collateral, yeah. you know, um, you know, to, for this, for this loan. And, uh, again, you know, he, he doesn't want to take out a bank loan because it's going to take long. Yeah. Plus these days, if you're writing an offer with a asking for a 60 day close, um, probably not going to happen. No. Um, so, so that's the deal of the week for this one. But, um, you know, just other deals that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of, construction loan requests you know the 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 you know builders out there um see a huge opportunity now the challenge with today right now for builders is the the um cost of materials yeah it's gone way up also uh, in marin they just are talking about uh uh not giving out too many permits because of water with the drought so that's another issue that that is going to kind of slow the um, you know, the, the, the supply of housing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's gotta be a solution for that somewhere, but you know, we're in what year, what is this the second year, third year of a drought? And so in, in the Marin, you know, you've seen cycles or, or Bay area, California, whatever cycles where, you know, maybe it's another year of this before we start seeing the El Nino come back. Oh, but yeah. you know, during that time is it's not helpful if you can't get a permit because of water issues. So yeah, there's a lot of construction activity out there. As I mentioned, the cost of materials has gone up. So, you know, if we get a loan scenario from a builder, you know, some of the things we have to evaluate is, you know, how how um you know how qualified is this builder yeah. or how it's their setup? Do they own the whole process from start to finish? You know, because the builders who are going to be successful and profitable in this market are ones who probably have an end-to-end operation. Um, certainly, the cost of materials are going to be a factor, but if you don't have to sub out as much of your work then and you have your own crew, then that will help keep the costs down. Sure. Um, there's a movement towards alternative materials. Oh. And then there's builders who are coming into the market, like we've talked to a group from Canada, that are, they're not building modular homes, but they're having part of the production occur in facilities. I like that. Yeah. So that they're just shipping out a completed wall, for instance. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not modular, um, but it is, you know, it's not building on site and, and being subject to weather. It's building inside a factory and bringing the finished, you know, section of a home mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to the site, 
to the job site, to the construction site. And, and that's a creative way of helping to keep some of the costs down uh, and not be subject to delays from weather or what have you. But, you know, that's, I'd be curious to see how much cost savings that is. Um, but certainly if you can do it in a factory and the factory is close enough that the shipping isn't, you know, too, too costly, then that can be a model. And this group's out of Canada and we're talking to them right now. And hopefully that's um, something that we can provide financing to them and they're able to build homes a little bit more affordably. So I think you're going to see a lot of evolution in the construction space in the coming uh, months and years uh, where, where new materials will come out. Um, people will be, get creative in terms of, you know, construction logistics uh-huh. um, because I don't think these raw material costs are going to go down anytime soon. No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. And some builders are having um, communities are having uh, escalation clauses where if their costs of, uh, materials goes up, then the value of the property and the sale price is going to go up to offset that, yeah. that uh, cost. So for the, for the buyer of the, uh, the owner builder, so to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> and some are easing back. Some community builders are easing back on production um, because the supply is limited and, um, and the costs are so high. So, yeah. you know, it, there's, there's opportunities. It's, for home buyers, it's going to be reflected though in a higher higher price. And you're not quite it's seeing the quite exodus of California that uh, everyone uh, talks. No, about. It's, it's really not not as big as people are thinking. So, all right, uh, when we come back, uh, you're going to explain about the Freedom Fund, uh, the liquidity of it, the rate of return, and yep. uh, how investors can uh, take part partake in it because it's a very good fund. Yep. All right, here's our third trivia question. What was the name of the sect that was raided by the FBI in Waco, Texas in 1993? All right. That's our trivia question. I I didn't mess that up. Last time I uh, almost messed up the question. This time I got it right. Call 888-912-1190. First caller with the correct answer is going to win that uh, tanning certificate. Again, here's the question. What was the name of the sect that was raided by the FBI in Waco, Texas in 1993? Don't touch that dial. The best of investing is going to be right back. For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888-912-1190. The best of investing will continue in a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. Now, back to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown on 860 AM, The Answer. Welcome back to the best of investing. One more time. I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Nam Fon of Pacific Private Money. Third trivia question. What was the name of the sect that was raided by the FBI in Waco, Texas in 1993? The uh, Davidians? Branch Davidians, yes. Credit for that. Very good. David Koresh. Um, so, Nam, uh, explain uh, the Freedom Fund. Sure. That? So, the Freedom for the Pacific Freedom Fund is a, uh, a fund somewhat similar to the Pacific Private Money Fund, which is our legacy fund. It's one we've talked about for years now on the show. Um, But it wasn't until last year that we uh, launched our second fund. And since then, we've added two more, uh, the North Star Capital Fund and and the Pacific Southwest Note Fund. They're all unique in in various ways. But the Pacific Freedom Fund is, is unique in that it's, for us, Pacific Private Money, we use it as a quasi warehouse line. 
where we fund loans that we expect to and anticipate selling to institutional buyers. So we have a number of banks that like the loans that we originate uh, here at Pacific Private Money and want to purchase them after we've after we funded them. So to do that though, uh, and to do it in the volume that they're requesting, so anywhere from 15 to you know, 20 million a month, we, we can't do that just with idle capital in the, like for, for instance, in the Pacific Private Money Fund, because the Pacific Private Money Fund by design is not meant to be highly liquid. We keep a few million in the account, um, to fund new loans or to process redemptions, what have you, but it's not enough to fund, you know, 15, 20 million a month. So the Freedom Fund, we launched uh, essentially April of last year, and um, we used those funds to fund loans that we plan to sell uh, within the next tw- uh, two weeks to 30 days. And that cadence has been exactly that over the last year. We sell tranches of loans twice a month out of the freedom fund. And um, so the fund goes from being close to fully deployed to being completely liquid or not being completely liquid, but, but being close to liquid um, twice a month. And uh, in, for investors, the appeal is that it, there's, um, you know, you can have access to your capital back pretty quickly. And what we found is investors who have in the past liked investing in trust deeds, but are often get paid off and are sitting on, on that capital earning, oh, yeah. you know, half a percent in, in the bank, say, okay, well, I can park it in the Pacific Freedom Fund. And if I need it within 30 days, I can get it back. And uh, because we sell these loans, we're, we're back in cash twice a month and we can process those redemptions. So for instance, we had one, you know, half a million redemption requests um, last month that we were able to process in a week. And so the Freedom Fund is is meant to, you know, provide that liquidity for those investors and give us the capital we need to fund loans that we're then selling to institutional buyers. Um, should note that the interest rate um, that in investors can earn is 6%. It's fixed 6%. And that's, you know, multitudes better or magnitudes better than, than what you'd earn having a sit in a checking account, uh, waiting for the next trustee opportunity or whatever investment opportunity comes up. So, you know, it's a great way to park your money for a short period of time. People, you know, people um, pull back from the stock market, take some money off the table. They parked it in the freedom fund looking for the next opportunity. Maybe it's Bitcoin, who knows? And then they, they invest uh, or they request a redemption and they make their next investment. And Um, there's no fee to get in. Correct. Just like the private money fund, there's no fee to get in and there's no fee to, for redemption. Okay. Um, So. But the thing is, it's not open to everybody though. Right. Right. So, you do have to be accredited just like all of our other funds. And the minimum investment is $250,000. Okay. So 250,000, 6% rate of return. Um, and uh, redemptions can happen within two to four weeks typically. And um, yeah, again, we use it to fund loans that we plan to sell to institutional capital. There may be a few loans. Sometimes we'll get a bridge loan that we won't sell to uh, to institutional capital because it's a 30 day hold. And we'll hold that loan in the Freedom Fund because it's going to pay off shortly. Um, Again, it goes back to, you know, that bridge loan borrower who wants to make an offer 
and they haven't sold their departing residence yet, and they need to, this our bridge loan to close. Uh, we've been paid off on our bridge loan in as little as um, 10 days before. Yeah. I mean, so, I could see that somebody, uh, a borrower, uh, gets a loan from you and at the same time is already working with a bank at the same time to, to refinance it out. And, and as soon as they do, you, you get paid off. Yeah, most are. Most are already in the middle of a, uh, some sort of financing piece, but it's just taking longer. Yeah. Or they know that that if with a conventional lender, there's going to be a financing contingency. So they get a bridge loan from us and we deliver sort of certainty of, of, of performance. And so they can make a non-sale contingent offer. Um, and that's been worked so well for, for many uh, borrowers. And in fact, one of our loan agents had uh, three borrowers who were pre-approved for our bridge loan that made an offer on the same property. <laughs> And they can, were competing against seven other borrowers. And I think in this case, one of them won out. So, wow. um, so bridge loans, you know, if, if, whether it's through us or somebody else, if you're in this marketplace trying to make an offer and win and you have a sale contingency, you know, oftentimes you, you're, you're competing against 20 to 30% of the other offers uh, yeah. being all cash. Well, and especially if, um, you know, here, here's the funny thing is that you sometimes you can actually make even a more aggressive offer if you're going to be able to close a deal in 10 days or so. So right. it actually more than pays for the cost of getting your loan um, and then having to get, you know, another bank loan at some point. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if you're going to make an offer, you know, it's your listing or your, your agent's job is to try and find out as much information about the seller and the listing as possible. And, you know, that seller could be the buyer of another property. Yeah. Of course, right. They're moving and moving somewhere else. You know, they may be under a really tight timeline to close. You, you so might, you might, that, yeah, you might end up doing uh, two loans for the same transaction, one for the yeah. new buyer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or even if you aren't doing two loans and that, and that seller needs to close quick because they have, you know, 10 days to get in to close on the property that they're buying. Yeah. Maybe you can make an offer where it's like, we'll close. No, I don't want to say come to us and we'll close in 10 days. I'm not saying that because yeah. it's, you have to follow various guidelines, but, yeah. but if you know that the seller need, is needs to close, you know, rather quickly, you might have some leverage in, in making a, not only an aggressive offer in terms of closing time frame, but maybe it doesn't have to be at full price. Now I'm not saying do that. Talk to your realtor, sure. but your realtor's job is to really find out, you know, strategically how to position yourself for it when you're making an I offer. I mean, I do know of a situation where the buyer put an offer of 75000 under asking, even though there was going to be bids of at least asking or more on a piece of property because they said, hey, we're going to go and get Pacific Private Money to lend us the money in, in nine days. Yeah. And, uh, they, but then that, the reason they were able to do it that fast is because they, they had already had a complete bank file ready to go. So they just had to, you know, quickly open up escrow for uh, the financing and yeah. they were done. Wow. All right. One more to give out your information one more time. And then we'll, uh, we don't have a trivia question, but we will uh, uh, have some closing comments in the next segment. Sure. So you can contact us at um, pacificprivatemoney.com. That's www.pacificprivatemoney.com. Or you can give us a call, 415-883-2150. 
That number again is 415-883-2150. All right, stay with us. The Best of Investing will be right back with some closing comments. You're listening to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown. For more information, visit bestofinvesting.com. More in a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to The Best of Investing on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Edward Brown. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Nam Pana Pacific Private Money. Nam, take it away. Yeah. So, you know, last segment we were just talking about in, in the prior ones, we were just talking about how hot this real estate market is. And uh, I love talking when Patty's on the show. I love uh, talking to her about it, too, because she's right at the forefront of it. Yeah. But, you know, I was uh, attending a online um, conference yesterday uh, on real estate. And, you know, one of the things, if you're a home buyer out there, you're just seeing a lot of different models out there uh, about like real estate companies that will buy your next home for oh, you. Yeah. And then rent it back to you until you've sold your home. And then once you sell your home, then you'll have the cash to buy the home from that real estate company. And they're all promoting this buy before sell program and how convenient it is. Yeah. But, you know, that that's actually much more complicated than just getting a bridge loan. Yeah, um, because if you, if you're, if you have a real estate company buying a house for you, I mean, essentially they're making an all cash offer sort of on your behalf, but then they're going to rent it to you. So you have to get sign a, a temporary lease agreement yeah. with them. Um, and then, then they, um, you know, want to list your home for you uh, so that they can, you know, capture the commission on that. And then they're going to sell the home that you're renting from them to you. Yeah. And you have the proceeds from the sale of your home to do that. And then maybe you'll get a loan from them as well. I mean, that's, that, that is convenient to a point. A little incestuous, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, know, you have so much more flexibility with a bridge loan to sort of drive, you know, have control. And so with a bridge loan, you get right in. You're the owner of the new home. Um, you're not having to rent from anyone. And you can move in on your time frame. So a lot of people have used our bridge loan not only to get the property, um, but in some cases we can lend, uh, you know, above what your actual loan amount is for the house um, because some of those proceeds can be used to, to make updates to the home you're moving into so that keep in mind, you're still living in your current home and, and you, you win that offer, you close escrow. Hey, if you don't have to move into your new next home yet, just take the time to update it do those changes that you want to make and then move into it. Uh, and then now your departing residence, the one you were living in for however many years is empty uh, and you can do some freshening up. And when you freshen up the property and stage it, um, that's what buyers want. They want to turn key home today and they're willing to pay for that. And, and you can oftentimes get a higher sales price uh, for a properly staged home with the latest updates that are attractive for today's trends. And when you have that, you can recoup a lot of the cost of bridge loans. And sure. and if you go through one of those buy before sell real estate companies, um, you know, what I understand is that you may be on the hook for some of the transfer taxes of paying them twice because there's two transfers. Oh, that's a good point. That's so good some things to look at, but um, you know, can't promote that uh, enough that a bridge loan is such a convenient way to compete in today's market and give you the flexibility and control you need to 
to really, um, you know, freshen up the home you're, you're moving into or the one you're, dep- you're leaving. And also you only have to move once. So again, 415-883-2150. Go to our website, www.pacificprivatemoney.com. Probably on our next show, we'll talk about um, a date for the next uh, webinar, which will yeah. be focused on the Freedom Fund. Very good. Um, all right. Are you ready for our thoughts for the day? Love the thoughts for the day. <laughs> okay. A little, uh, little thoughts, little puns. All right. What did the man say to the wall? One more crack like that and I'll plaster you. <laughs> thought that was pretty cute. That's and cute. I don't understand why my credit is so bad. I get letters from all my creditors each month telling me my balance is outstanding. <laughs> I like that one too. Get these, Edward. Uh, I, I wish I could say I make them up, but I don't. I, I find them on the internet. That's and fun. I know it's true because I found them on the internet. Yeah. All right. Tune in next week to The Best of Investing. We're going to be giving away more free prizes for answering trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm Edward Brown, wishing you the best of investing. So long. So long. You've been listening to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown. For more information on this program, call 888-912-1190. That's 888-912-1190. Or visit bestofinvesting.com. And join us again next week for the best of investing on 860 AM. The Answer. This radio broadcast is in no way an offer to sell securities except where applicable in states where we are registered or where an exemption or exclusion from such registration exists. Information discussed during this broadcast, whether stock quotes, charts, articles, or any other statement or statements regarding market or other financial information is obtained from sources which we believe are reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of this information. Nothing in this broadcast should be interpreted to state or imply that past results are an indication of future performance. There are no warranties expressed or implied as to accuracy, completeness, or results obtained from this broadcast.